We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show. Uh, We are in the studio today with uh, Anna Sale, who I'm really looking forward to introducing to you all later. Um, But before we get started, I wanted to give you some general advice, which is that if you are the parent of a minor, I advise you not to attempt to parent through the legal system by suing your child. Um, That's not a piece of advice I thought that I would have to give on this show. But for those of you who have been uh, following the news out of Minnesota recently, you may be aware that there is a woman who is suing her 17-year-old transgender daughter uh, who has been living independently of her mother, working two jobs, um, paying her own bills, uh, and generally taking care of herself. She's suing her daughter, who's 17, um, because she is receiving medical care for her transition. Um, boy, oh boy, uh, do I have some thoughts about the importance of physical autonomy, uh, and the rights of people, even young people, even minors, to make decisions about their own bodies, um, particularly if you have allowed your child to move out and get jobs and take care of themselves. And then all of a sudden, because they are making medical decisions for their own transition that you do not like, um, trying to stop them by uh, invoking the power of the state. Um, I advise you not to do that. I think that that is some bad parenting. Um, I think that that is deeply damaging. It's deeply worrying. It's deeply troubling. You know, the the outcome of this case could have really damaging um long-term effects for other trans and genderqueer youth um, for whom, you know, medical privacy is so important um, when it comes to uh, people who are trans or genderqueer or gender minorities. uh, Often uh, it is their families who um, provide the greatest uh, threat to their well-being. And so um, 
somebody who is able to uh, invoke the state and make those decisions for you or stop you from receiving the medical care that you need um, is deeply troubling, worrying, upsetting, frightening. Um, Don't do that. If you are thinking about doing it, stop. Um, And uh, this is just a story that I find deeply troubling, especially just in light of um, this has not been a great year for uh, news about LGBT people. And uh, I just go back to uh, try to help other people. And if you can't do that, just uh, go for benign neglect. Um, trust that people are not making decisions about transitioning lightly um, and that they know what is best for themselves. And especially if you are willing to let them, uh, you know, begin the process of emancipation, um, don't suddenly change your tune um, because you are a transphobic person. And like, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a transphobic thing to do. Like, there's that sort of whole like, oh, I don't really mind the transitioning. I just I think it's happening too fast. It's like, yeah, you do mind the transitioning. Actually, um, you want to stop it um, because you think that people don't know their own minds or their own bodies. Um, and you think that you know better uh, than somebody else does. And you don't. Um, and it is uh, deeply wrong. And it is a violation of somebody's civil rights to try to stop them from transitioning if transitioning is what they need. So uh, that is my advice to all of you out there. Don't stop other people from transitioning. My guest today is Anna Sale, who is the host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money, uh, which I do recommend checking out if you haven't. She has wonderfully intimate conversations with all kinds of people about stuff that many of us aren't comfortable talking about. I just talked about something that I'm not especially comfortable or coherent about, so I can really relate to this script that my producer just wrote. (laughs) Hi, Anna. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. How you doing? I'm good. I, I am a. I was listening very attentively because I'm the new parent of a minor. So, the advice: don't sue them as a parenting strategy. Boy, Had, hadn't thought about my position on that yet. Yeah. No. And and her daughter is named as the defendant. Hmm. That's that's a rough place to be. She hmm. is of hmm. course uh, misgendering her daughter right and left in the court documents, which um, is just again not a great parenting technique. Um, and it's really sad. Yeah. How are your kids doing? I have one. Okay. She is good. Yeah. She is rolling over and beginning to move around rooms by like scooching backwards. That's very exciting. It is. It's very cool to watch. I've never seen a child scooch backwards into a room, but I have a feeling that it would be delightful and I would enjoy it. <laughs> it is. Because <laughs> she doesn't really know that she's moving. She's just, like, moving her body, like, so excited that she can move her core. And then all of a sudden, she's six feet from where she started. This is often how I feel in my own life. <laughs> um, I tried to pick as many questions as possible today that felt connected to, to death, sex, and money. Um Unfortunately, just no one ever wants to talk about any of those things. No. They just don't have <laughs> they don't. any They have no problems related to death, sex, or money. Those are, they're just all bad, aren't they? Yeah. Death and sex and money. Um, so I, I look forward to exploring deeply uncomfortable realms of the human psyche with you. Cool. Uh, and I want to get started. I'm actually really excited about this because it's another question about um, heterosexual marriage uh, and the role of, like, the male parent in uh, a wedding ceremony, which uh, listeners of the podcast might recall that easily the most uh, explosive fight ever had on this podcast was with um, a, a beloved guest um, who uh, the two of us could not agree on whether or not somebody should have their fiancé ask their father for permission. Mm. Um, and so I'm looking forward to round two <laughs> of just, like, heterosexual traditions. What are we going to do with them? What's right? What's wrong? Um 
So let's jump in. I'm going to go ahead and read the first letter. All right. Uh, I'm getting ready to respond passionately. All right. The subject is, I don't want to be given away. I'm so glad we're still asking ourselves this question. (laughs) Um, I'm not really glad at all. Dear Prudence, I'm getting married in the spring, and my dad has been talking for years about walking me down the aisle and giving me away. I hate the whole idea and the implied ownership and control behind it, and I don't want that in my wedding. But my parents have threatened not to attend at all because they'll be too, quote-unquote, devastated to enjoy the rest of the event if I skip this tradition. I want to call their bluff and tell them that while I hope they come, attending is their decision, but no one will be walking me down the aisle either way. My fiancé agrees that they're being ridiculous, but he thinks I should just do what they want to make things go smoothly. He has, however, agreed that they're my parents and that he'll support whatever I end up deciding to do. My parents are already upset that I refuse to have a church wedding because I've always wanted to get married outdoors, and my fiancé and I live in the perfect place for us. They're upset that we aren't using traditional religious vows, that our wedding parties are of mixed gender, and that my fiancé and I have asked a close friend to marry us instead of a minister. Should I just let my parents win this fight for the sake of keeping the peace? I have some thoughts. Hit me with them. Well, I think it's interesting to me how much kind of in the email we learn that they're how much ground her parents have given hmm. that that they would have preferred a church wedding that they are uncomfortable with non-traditional med- wedding parties that they would prefer that a minister was involved and it was the giving away question where the ultimatum came in and i don't know my my first thought about this i've been married twice i've had two weddings both times i was walked down the aisle by my mom and my dad and even though the first marriage ended in divorce, those photos of me with my parents ending the passage of being part of that family being my family of origin and entering into a new family, which is what a marriage is, those photos of that moment are really precious to me. I did not think of it as these are my parents bringing me to the altar to give up their property to the man who was taking me. Of course, that is the history of this tradition. However, I think that there can be a way, if there's room for you, as you think about your wedding, to think about this is me honoring what I got from my family, from maybe you ask both parents if if your mom doesn't want to be involved. But you could say, this is my way of honoring, you know, what you gave me as parents, and I want you to accompany me as I make this transition. And then they sit down, and then they watch you have the kind of ceremony that is your ceremony of choice. Um, I, you know, but if that feels so uncomfortable, like it is it is a bridge too far, and that you will look at those pictures of your father walking you down the aisle as a an incredible compromise of your values and your principles, and that you're beginning the process of your married life not on your own terms, then make the other choice. Anna, that's so reasonable. <laughs> Can't we fight? No, totally. I mean, my inclination on answers like this is always like, get your hackles up. Fuck you. Don't say fuck you to your parents. This is not merited. Um, But just like, you know, don't have these kind of elaborate expectations of your child's marriage uh, and like get over it. Um, That said, I I think my advice tends to lean in that direction enough that I want to sometimes like make allowances for what would it look like if you didn't do that? So like I agree. I I don't think based on this letter that your father is thinking, ah, if I get to walk her down the aisle, then everyone will know. 
it was my choice that she married this person and I will have the final say. Like, I don't, it doesn't sound like to me. He's collecting his dowry after the ceremony. Yeah, Right. It doesn't (laughs) sound like to me that that's how your father sees it. It sounds like he's a little more old fashioned and he wants to feel like there's some sort of meaningful moment during the ceremony that acknowledges his relationship with you, the connection that the two of you have, um, which may or may not be a good one. Like, there's nothing in this letter that tells me, like, I don't like my parents, but there's also nothing that's like we're normally close. They're a little old fashioned. So I think part of what I would ask is like, you know, overall, like, would it be meaningful for you to make your parents feel included, specifically your dad? Um, do you do you feel like you're close with them? Do you feel like they did a good job raising you or, or tried their best? Like, do you would you be willing to compromise because it would mean a lot to them? Um Clearly, my heart is not in this half of the answer. I'm like trying, man. I'm trying out here. I mean, I think the thing that I like, weddings are family occasions. Mm -hmm. They're celebrating the marriage of these two people who are in love and who are starting a new life together. But it's also a time to gather together. Like, I remember the question of like, how how do I feel about grandma's China or something like and (laughs) I, I, I didn't I didn't really care about China, but I knew that it like was so important that, like, she give me a meaningful gift to her than that, that expressed, like, what she valued. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's what, that's what, why wedding planning is so <laughs> stressful. Totally. Because you are navigating so many different sets of values. Um, but in the end, I think that, like, if at the possibility of your parents not coming to your wedding, I would just, if you're going to make that choice, I would just... Make sure you're really comfortable with it because that's not something you can undo. And for the rest of your marriage, hang on, it's that. not something they can undo. She's not telling them don't come. They're saying she is saying, yeah, she was. She's saying you may come. Yeah, she's not saying don't come. Right. I, I do think, but making the choice to say this is so important to me that like I'm willing to call your bluff on not coming to my wedding. Mm-hmm. Um. That is something neither your parents nor you can undo. And I, I think that that's something. It's going to be a decision that's going to have a long, sure, long consequences. Yeah, I think part of what gets my back up about this is this claim. If we don't get, if I don't get to walk you down the aisle, I'll be too devastated to watch you get married. Really? Really? You wouldn't derive any joy from watching your child, like, vow to honor and cherish the person she loves because she didn't want you to walk her down the aisle. It would just turn the sun to ashes in your eyes, turn food into dust in your mouth. You would just derive no joy. It would be like Casey at the bad, no joy in Mudville that day. Like, fucking really? I just, I, I think you should try harder to find the joy in this ceremony, parents of this letter writer. I think if, if it's this one thing, if you think that they'll let it go after that, consider saying, okay, I want you both to walk me down the aisle. But I also want you to feel really free to say, mom and dad, I love you so much. I don't want you to walk me down the aisle because I don't feel that I am being given away. If there's another way that we can kind of acknowledge and honor the job that both of you did raising me, I'd love to find a way that we can incorporate that in the ceremony. But I I don't want to be given away, especially not by just my male parent. Like, that's actually not how I see this going down. That's not how I see this. And I think that's a pretty, like, good compromise. And if they're like, nope, it's got to be your dad walks you, like, past some pews or nothing, then I, I think that that's kind of their choice um, to to 
be a little unreasonable. And I don't think that you should feel super guilty about um, not accommodating them. I just feel like they should try a little harder to find some joy in this day. So we're fighting a little bit. We're fighting a little bit. We're fighting a little bit. But <laughs> you've also gotten married. Uh, and and I do always want to take into account that, like, weddings are about more than just a couple in question. And there's a reason that people don't just, like, get married, like, in 40 seconds, you know, in a hallway. Um, like, they invite friends and loved ones partly because they want to include, like, their community. And that is true. And sometimes your community wants stuff that's a little different from you. And you do have to compromise. Yeah. <laughs> this is Casey's cracking up because she could tell that I'm just like, oh, oh, live in the desert. Talk to no one. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I love this next letter because the pun that they put into the subject line is outrageous. Um, it's <laughs> A lot of times people will write to me with acronyms that I do not understand. Like, I can get... F-I-L for father-in-law, but there's other ones that I have to, like, look up, and I just have no idea what they mean. Um, but this is about a father-in-law, and this is not-so-wonder-fill, like, F-I-L mm. father-in-law. You guys get it. You, you, can, you can pick up what I'm putting down. Weekends. So, boy, that is just not a joke I would have understood 10 years ago. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so here we go. <clears throat> My mother-in-law passed away over a year ago, leaving behind my father-in-law. Since then, my husband and I have played host to my father-in-law almost every single weekend. While I love my father-in-law and get along with him well, in fact, maybe better than my husband does, I still resent having to sacrifice my weekends, my time with our young children, and every Saturday and Sunday, he's over all day. My husband and I both work full-time and away from home, and our weekends are precious, Whenever I bring this up to my husband, his response is, his wife is dead. What am I supposed to do? To cap it off, my husband doesn't want to see his father this often. My father-in-law and my husband don't even get along most of the time, and visits are often rife with passive-aggressive arguments and put my husband in a sour mood. What can I say to get through to him? Mm. I gotta say, I love your husband because <laughs> his strategy is just, well, I don't like my father. We fight all the time. But his wife is dead, so I'm legally obligated to spend every weekend with him for the rest of his life. Uh, but I will in no way make any, like, real-time attempt to improve our relationship. Uh, I just owe him a grudge-filled weekend every week until one of us dies. And I don't care that you're, it's making you unhappy. Yeah, no, this is just, everyone knows this is how it works. When your mom dies, uh, you have to make your dad your, like, part-time roommate. <laughs> <laughs> this feels real different from the last letter, by the way. Um, this, this feels like a situation where there's a lot of really weird unspoken assumptions, uh, flying around here. Yeah. I think this isn't about the father-in-law. This is about the husband. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
I just think that's what it is. I mean, it's not about making sure your father-in-law gets a hobby or, you know, has something else to do on weekends or, you you know, if he all of a sudden had a packed social calendar, you still would have a husband who doesn't um, respond when you're saying this is something that's impacting our family, that's taking away our time together, and it's your parent. Mm -hmm. You need to take the lead on this, and he's not. Um, So I would say that's... That's where the conversation is. It's it's uh, it's not good enough to say his wife is dead. He, you know, his your, your your husband's mother is dead too. So I wonder what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredibly difficult and painful. And I'm sure there are like layers of grief and guilt. And he might feel like I don't get along with my dad, but. My mom is gone, and this is, like, a way to honor her, even though, like, it does not bring any of us a lot of joy. Um, And so I just have to do this, Um, which I don't think is true. I don't think it's true. Um, I think, like, the question he asked you, you know, his wife is dead. What am I supposed to do? Well, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Not have him over every weekend. Um, I think it's, like, it's wonderful to comfort people who are grieving. It's it's really good to have as healthy a relationship with your parents as possible. Um, I, I don't think that if if one parent dies, that means you have to spend every weekend with the remaining parent forever. Um, you can actually say, Dad, we've got plans this weekend. I, I mean, I just said it, so it's... <laughs> it's possible to yeah, be said. I'm sorry, I don't want to make light of this because I also want to acknowledge, like, this could be really painful for all of you, but... Um, I think one of the things you should think about is, like, maybe your father-in-law doesn't love this any more than you guys do. I mean, maybe he's just super in his element, like, engaging in passive-aggressive fights all weekend. But, like, maybe he also kind of hates this arrangement and feels sort of trapped. And I think that you should – like, I think it's great to talk to your husband um, and and really push for – I want us to set some time aside where we do something with us and the kids that does not involve your father-in-law. And I want to do that pretty regularly. Like, uh, we need to not do every weekend. And if you can't get him to join you on that, I think you and the kids should make other arrangements. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's play date time. Yep. Get out of the house. Leave leave the the husband and the father home to work it out. Yeah. I I don't think that should be your first option. Like, I think it'd be really good to get your husband on board, Um, even if you could just agree to, like, a weekend a month to start with where you guys just have family time. Um, But, like, this can't be delightful for your kids either. Um, And I think you might find that if you don't spend so much time with your father-in-law, the time that you do spend together might actually be a little more enjoyable and you might actually, you know, connect and and not snap at one another so much. Um, Because I think that there is probably a happy medium in between like abandoning him to like a sad and solitary widowerhood versus letting him show up every Friday through Sunday and just fighting all the time. Yeah. I would see about just organizing visits around an an, act, an activity as opposed to, like, the assumption of the hang. Like, what if you just said, father-in-law, we've got, we're gonna, let's, can we do family dinner on Sunday evening? We're doing something on Saturday. Yeah. And then there's a destination and a time that's, that's confined that you know that. And then also you, your father-in-law knows that you're making time for him, mm-hmm. but you're also not. I mean, just like that's family dynamics devolve when Mm. it's just like unstructured hang time. That is when we are our worst selves. Yes. That's a really good point. You need something (laughs) to focus on. You need a start time. You need an end time. 
Yeah. You every every invitation for every event should have an end time written on it. <laughs> it's true. We should all know there when should be written invitations. Done. To be clear, yes, yes. <laughs> we like I I believe that really strongly. Yeah, and I think that right now it sounds like what your husband's strategy is is my dad can come over every weekend. I'm not going to work too hard to engage him. I'm going to kind of let my wife take the lead on that. And then when she says she's not enjoying it, I'm going to pull out the, well, his wife is dead card. So things have to continue as they are. And I I don't think you need to buy into that. And I think it'd be great if you could get him on your side. And if not, you need to make it clear, like, here's how much time, like, a month or on a given weekend I'm willing to spend time with him. Um, I'm not going to do you know, doors open from Friday at 5 p.m. till, like, Sunday night. Like, that needs to stop. Um, I, I don't think any... And, like, to frame it as, like, none of us is enjoying this. You and your father fight. Um, the kids are, like, presumably feeling a little neglected. Um, there's a real sense of aimlessness. I don't want that. I want the time we spend together to feel generally pleasant and, like, there's a point to it. Special. Yeah. Yeah, that's not so wonderful at all. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Why don't you go ahead and read our next letter? I appreciated this letter because I am from West Virginia, Mm. and this writer is from the state next door. Subject line, Trapped in Kentucky. I'm a gay man who's 43 years old and who has been in a 17-year-old relationship with the same guy. My problem is that my partner has bipolar disorder and has a tendency to move through life from one self-imposed crisis after the other. I do love this person, but we have not been intimate in over 14 years. It stopped one day with him rejecting my romantic overtures and never resumed, exclamation point. Our relationship has gone from a romantic partnership in the very early year to one of my becoming his caretaker and roommate. A few years ago, my partner quit drinking, and while that's great for him, we never go out together or do anything that I don't plan myself. Oftentimes, I find myself sitting with him no matter where we are and feeling alone because we just don't have anything in common anymore. If I want to go out and socialize, something that I greatly enjoy as I'm a very social person, I have to do it alone. I do love my partner, but not romantically anymore. Over the past several years, I've found myself incredibly depressed because I feel as though I'm missing out on life and it's driven me to drink more than I normally would. And I've picked up the bad habit of smoking, which I really need to quit. I always envisioned myself to be with someone I could marry and settle down with in a happy, fully fulfilled relationship. I'm bored and completely checked out, but the problem is that my partner cannot support himself. I pay for everything. Can you please give me some advice on how to escape this entrapment? Oh, man. This one is just devastating. Yeah. I feel like I have a suggestion for this person. Uh, that I think it would be really helpful to the both of you. And that suggestion is alimony. Hmm. Um, I think this relationship is really over, really over. It's been over for a long time. Um, I really understand that there are elements to your partner's uh, life that are outside of his control. Um, it sounds like uh, his behavior has more to do with struggling to cope with a mental illness than any sort of deliberate cruelty or manipulation. 
Um, it doesn't sound like he is trying to trap you. So I, I, I wouldn't say, like, he's a person you should just get away from as quickly as possible. Obviously, you have a longstanding connection. You feel you feel a real uh, responsibility towards his well-being, which I think is really meaningful. Um, but it also sounds like, uh, you know, you're not romantically involved and have not been for much longer than you ever were to begin with. Um, and like in a lot of ways, being his caretaker is, you know, creating a, a not insignificant mental health crisis of your own. Um, and I think that you should separate. And because you've been together for a really long time, if it's feasible, talk about um, like what would it look like if you two separated and you continued to help him support himself for a period of time? Um, I, I don't know. I, I imagine that would involve consulting a lawyer. It sounds like you have a lot of goodwill towards him. So you you want to be helpful. Uh, you don't want to just like cut him off uh, because you're breaking up. Um, and, and, but I think you should break up. I think you should break up. And I think you should talk about um, how you can support him in a way that's meaningful and allows him to to focus on his own health. But I think you should stop living together. I think you should stop being in a relationship. I think you should focus on your own um, relationship with smoking and drinking and figuring out what kind of social life, what kind of romantic life you want to have independently of him. Uh, I think alimony is is what needs to happen next here. That's a really good suggestion. I was thinking he needs to go on a trip. <laughs> it could start with a trip. Like you do, I think you could use a vacation. You could use yeah. a vacation somewhere beautiful with interesting, attractive people who want to talk to you. Yeah, because I think, I think what's what I hear from the letters, the relationship is over. I also feel like there's a lot. You have a lot of resentment about the compromises you've made to stay in this relationship, and I think because your life isn't how you imagined it right now, you're you blame that on your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the thing that comes with. Ending a relationship when the end has come is you have to take responsibility Mm -hmm. for that and figuring out, do I want to leave Kentucky? Where would I go? What kind of environment do I want to live in? How much do I want to go out? How much do I want to drink? How much do I want to smoke? What kind of sex life would be exciting to me right now at this point in my life? And those are all things I think that you can get to. Um, you have, you do have to, the first layer is like, how can you not, how can you, how can you express love to this person who's been family to you for so long, um, without, without, um, you know, unnecessary feelings of, of, uh, or just like letting the, the obligation go on too far. There's, there's divorce for a reason. Right. And um, it can be structured in a way that that acknowledges that you have different earning capacities and that you have earned more for a long time. Um, And also thinking about if you're not there to take care of him as his caregiver, who will? What will that look like? Will it be someone that is a paid aide? Is it some other family? Just you've got to work that out and you've got to got to work that out. I think in consultation with a, a lawyer, yeah. as Mallory suggested, it's a good one. And I think that makes a lot of sense, too, because you have to ask yourself both what would be good and kind and caring and compassionate to do for you? And what are things I'm no longer willing and able to do? Because you, you mentioned in the letter that uh, he often moves from one crisis to another. So you know in advance there will be another, you know, your leaving will be a crisis for him. And it's possible that there will be more crises to come and that there will be a real part of you that will feel like you have to fix it. Um, and I think to ask yourself, um, 
you know, what do I owe this person, uh, you know, and what do I not owe this person? And so to say, like, I, I think, like, to help them with immediate physical needs, with mental health, if, like, they're in danger of harming themselves, um, but to say, like, if they have a really big blow up with another member of their family, I don't need to wait in and fix that. If they have some sort of personal entanglement with somebody else that's really painful for them, I don't necessarily, it's not necessarily helpful for me to go in and fix that again. Because you've been fixing that for so long, it will be hard for you, I think, to draw the line and say, I am leaving. Here are the things I'm willing to do to be helpful to you. And here are the things that I just can no longer do because I, I, I want to be able to be open to a different kind of romantic relationship or a different kind of partner. Um, and so to to resign from the boyfriend role um, and to ask, what do I owe you as a former partner who still cares about you a lot, but is not going to be your boyfriend again? Um, and you'll have to figure that out. I, I, I encourage therapy for that because this has been such an ongoing pattern. Um, I think therapy will be very helpful to you. I think take yourself on that trip, um, even if it's just for a couple of days to somewhere close by, just a trip where you can like sleep by yourself and like take a long shower and eat a flirt. slow breakfast. Yeah, flirt with someone cute. Um, get yourself a therapist, even if you just go for a couple months um, and just say like, here are my goals. My goals is to leave this partnership, to take care of myself, to prioritize my own needs, but also to be kind and compassionate to this person and to figure out how I can help them. Can you, therapist, help me achieve these goals? Um, so you have a real goal-oriented reason. You're getting in. You're going to ha- get help accomplishing certain tasks. And then if you want to stop going to therapy, you can. Um, but to ask yourself, like, if you don't make a decision and you don't really work towards achieving it, it seems like you'll get another 17 years uh, where you find yourself doing things that you don't really want to be doing. And I don't want that for you. Um, and I think you can do that without kind of casting this partner to the side and saying, like, you're responsible for my unhappiness or or I must now punish you for the things that I've missed out on. Like, I don't think that that's the right response either. Yeah. But I think you wrote the email because you are looking for permission and a strategy for exiting this relationship. Yes. And I think you should. I think it's time. Good luck. Yes. Good luck to both of you. I think that there is a way to do this where the both of you are ultimately like better off and happier. I do. And I hope that that is what happens. Anna, thank you so much for coming and being on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it, it was a, a sheer delight. Um, I encourage everyone who enjoyed today's episode to listen to her podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you again for coming and um, being so wise. Well, thank you for being wise. The alimony, that was good. And congratulations on having a child who can scoot backwards. Thank you. I have been thinking a lot about just general life advice because I feel like the last couple of episodes uh, we've been sort of opening and closing with uh, very nonspecific advice. Uh, And I realized that I've not yet shared my absolute favorite bundle of advice with the listeners of this show. Um, And that is the song Beautiful Ride from the John C. Riley film Walk Hard, which is uh, the greatest film of all time. It is an incredibly specific parody of basically two movies, Ray and Walk the Line. Um, So if you were just like desperate for a very specific satire of musical biopics about Southern singers, 
uh, that's the film for you. Or if you just love uh, John C. Riley, but it's beautiful and pitch perfect. And there's a song at the end that sort of sums up all the wisdom he's accumulated over the course of his storied life. Um, and the chorus just goes, it's about music, flowers, babies, sharing the good times, accepting your mortality, traveling not just for business. Um, and I just love that more than anything else in the world. I think it sums it all up beautifully. And just the way that John C. Riley says traveling, not just for business, um, just really does it for me. So I strongly encourage you to go listen to that song if you haven't already to watch the movie, um, if you haven't yet gotten the chance. Um, just in general, do not sleep on John C. Riley. He's a genius and he looks like the Prince of Goblins. And I love him with my whole heart. And I try to live like that song every day. Um, don't just travel for business, you know, or that's not really a problem many of us have. It's really more a problem if you're like a very famous singer whose career spans decades. But if that's your situation, you should remember not just to travel for business. Um, if it's not your situation, maybe just focus on the babies and flowers portion. That's all I got for you this week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. But remember, of course, that the day will come when you will no longer be able to hear more Prudence because either you or I will be dead. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews help new listeners find the podcast, and then they ask us questions, and it goes on forever in a beautiful cycle. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it to 30 seconds or a minute, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. Now that I have lived a lifetime's worth of days, finally I see the folly of my ways. Oh, it's so good. So listen when I sing of the temptations of this world, fancy cars and needles, whiskey, flesh, and Till you die, it's a beautiful ride. A beautiful ride. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.